Hey, God, thanks so much for your, uh, um, your church, for this, this, this gathering of people on a weekly basis uh, here in this room. Uh, we're so grateful that we get to do it in a country that allows us to, uh, that we get to worship you openly and freely, uh, that we get to uh, read your word and try to figure out uh, your hopes for us in life. Thanks for James putting things so clearly for us, for us and um, as we try to understand uh, what he has uh, for us in this life. Uh, lead us by your spirit to those things. Get me out of the way. Speak in my place. I have absolutely nothing of worth to say to these people, but you're God, and you can change us as you challenge us. So do that this morning, uh, and we uh, ask all of this in your son's precious name, the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Why don't you stand with me? We're going to read the first 12 verses of the book of James. Everybody up? Everybody give me a high C. Let's warm up. Ah! Not bad. Not bad. Everybody ready to read, though? I need you to read this with me. And think about what you're saying as we read it. This is what James wrote in A.D. 49. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Greetings. Uh, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flowers falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those love him. Have a seat. I haven't gotten through all 12 verses yet this weekend. You may be the special service. We'll see. But uh, I just want to, as we get her into a book, I always want to tell you a little bit about it as we get going. This book, like I said earlier, was written in AD 49. It makes it the oldest book in the New Testament. It's the oldest recorded writing book, uh, written book in the uh, New Testament. Uh, it is written in a way that I like. In fact, when I talk to people who are new in the faith, I always have them read two books in the Bible, the book of John, the Gospel of John, so they can get to know the story of Jesus Christ. And then I say, hey, if you want to just kind of an accessible, uh, easy-to-read book, read the book of James. It's five chapters long, and it's just so, uh, for me, easy to understand, one of the easier-to-understand books in all of Scripture. Because it's, it's not a whole lot of uh, you know, stories from ancient history or things like that. It's just Straight up, here's how you do it. Does anybody like getting that from someone? Just give me the facts, right? This is like the dragnet book of the Bible. Dragnet, is that, am I too old just now? Did that just happen? Anyway, um, just the facts, ma'am. It's, 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 it's got 54 imperatives in five chapters. It just says, do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that, over and over and over again. It's really easy to understand. But my, I think my, my reason for wanting to preach this book and my reason for liking it uh, probably as much or more than any other books in the New Testament, I like them all. But the reason I like this one best is because it's written by a guy who I think uh, justifies my faith in Jesus Christ more than anybody else in Scripture. It's written by James. Do you know who James is? James is the half-brother of Jesus Christ. 
So Jesus is born uh, of Mary uh, under the, uh, the behest of the Holy Spirit. She, she is made pregnant by the, by the will of God. And uh, has, has Jesus on Christmas. Yay, Christmas. Um, but then goes on with her husband Joseph to have other children. And James is one of the brothers of Jesus. Grows up with Jesus in Egypt and then uh, you know, passes on to Nazareth. They probably built furniture together in Joseph's carpenter shop. Okay? Uh, James knows Jesus. And so uh, uh, when Jesus comes out and starts talking about the fact that he is the son of God, sent by God as the Messiah, uh, just like you and me, James had issues with that. If your brother or sister started making claims that they were the son of God, uh, you would help them find the professional help that they need. Agreed? Because you grew up with them. You know, it's not possible with this, you know, my sisters, no way, not even close, not even a chance that they could be uh, agents of God in that way. Uh, and, and basically, uh, James and his family, same reaction when Jesus started doing their stuff. In Mark chapter 3, it says uh, that when Jesus went home, a, a crowd gathered around him, so much so uh, that he and his followers could not even eat. I mean, they were just being pressed in on it was a throng, and they couldn't even like hold a fork or something, I don't know. Uh, and when his family heard of this, that all these people were gathered around Jesus, and that they were gathering around him because of all these claims and these you know, supposed miracles in their minds uh, that he was doing, uh, they went out, and the words that they use here, that Mark uses here, is they went out to seize him. They didn't go out to reason with him or have a conversation or, hey, let's have some coffee. Meet me at Starbucks. This is kind of weird. No, they went out to grab him and to yank him out of that scene and to pull him home uh, to, to, to make sure that he got the help that he needed because they were saying, he is what? He is cuckoo, right? This guy's lost it. And this is James' reaction to Jesus, I believe, all the way up until he sees his brother after his brother has died. Would that change it for you if your brother died and came back and said, hey, what's up? Would that change it for you? You'd start asking some questions maybe? We know that Jesus went to James because Paul was careful enough to mention that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says this, I delivered to you as of first importance uh, what he wrote to the Corinthians when he spoke to them. Or, uh, he says, this is what I, I wanted you to know, uh, that, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That's good news, by the way. That's the gospel. Christ died for our sins. That's good news. Uh, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. This is what the Bible tells us. Jesus came, died for our sins, and then conquered the grave so that we can conquer it in our faith in him. And that he appeared to Cephas. It's a code word. It's the Hebrew word, uh, Aramaic word, I think. Hebrew. Anyway, uh, for Peter, Petros, which is uh, you know, the lead disciple. And then to the twelve. Uh, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. It, listen, if you're ever like, want, trying to defend uh, your faith in Jesus to someone, t- tell them that historically uh, it has been accounted by Paul that Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, uh, hung out in a room that had about this many people in it here, right in the middle. Like, like, or maybe the wings too, but the, like 500 people saw him. Okay, so we could maybe discount all you guys saying that you saw Jesus after he was resurrected. But if all y'all, which is Texan for you people here, if all y'all saw him at one time, well, well now we've now we got a little bit of something to deal with here. He appeared to people, uh, 500 people at one time. Uh, and, and Paul, when he was writing this to the Corinthians, says, listen, go talk to them. Most of them are still alive. Go ask them. Don't believe me if you don't want to believe me. I wasn't there, but they were. Go talk to them. Some of them aren't, aren't here anymore, but a lot of them are. Some have fallen asleep. And then he says it right here. And then he appeared to James, 
You want to be a bird on the, or a, a bird, bug, a fly? What's on the wall when people are like, is it a fly? I'm tired. I didn't sleep last night. Anyway, you want to be a fly on the wall on that one? Jesus shows up to his brother's house. Bang, 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 bang. Opens the door. What's up, Jim? Who needs help now? <laughs> Who's the crazy one now? Yeah, Jimmy's like, oh, what am I looking at? But uh, we don't have the full details of all the story, but, but uh, James saw his brother resurrected from the, from the grave, and that was it. He was in. He was, it was, he was done. And he started following him uh, as the son of God, as the author of his salvation. He becomes a leader in the early church in Jerusalem. That's pretty significant because you're going to see as he writes, uh, he writes to Christian Jews, uh, uh, the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Uh, uh, and I'll mention more of that, about that later. The, the theme of, of James is, is this. It's that, uh, um, that, that it's a true faith is a faith that works. And we're going to talk about that over the next six or seven weeks. But we've already been talking about that if you've been here the last four or five weeks. As we've talked about Christian atheism, a Christian atheist, again, is someone who believes in God but acts like he doesn't exist. James kind of picks up on that whole theme. He's like, listen, if you're going to have faith, your faith has to work itself out in how you think and what you do and how you live. It should show up somehow in the life that you're you know, uh, uh, living out here in this world. And, and for us to just say that we believe in Jesus or believe in God, but it doesn't change anything about uh, our lives or how we uh, execute life, it, it, it's inconsistent. And James is going to say in chapter 2, uh, faith without works is dead. And, and he's going to talk about the importance of faith. And even today, he's going to talk about faith in the midst of troubles, and that's where we need to go. So let's go there, shall we? I had the disappointing uh, experience of putting our dog down yesterday. Uh, we had AJ for 17 years. Um, Sweet little cockapoo. I'm messed up, people. I'm, uh, I'm not even going to lie to you. I, I, I've joked about this dog for years. I'm not, a, uh, I'm not the, the, the person in our family that really liked him. You, you, has anybody got one of those in your house? Yeah. Uh, he would pee on the drapes and just do all this, you know, crazy stuff and costing me money, you know, blah, 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 typical American male stuff. But, uh, uh, Eleanor and I took him to, you know, to, to say goodbye and to, and to have him put down, and it just wrecked my day. And I'm still kind of a mess. I didn't sleep last night, um, and and it's it's just a, an instance of a trial, uh, an emotional turbulence that I was not anticipating. Have those sometimes? Things are going along fine, and all of a sudden you think something that's going to be easy is, and you're like, what is going on? Maybe some, you know, some of the things you're going through that isn't those emotional kinds. Maybe it's just like actual financial issues or you, know, you, you found out you lost your job this week or that where you were staying is no longer available for you to stay in. Uh, you, uh, uh, you had family on the East Coast and they're digging out from underneath uh, whatever hit them this past few days. Uh, uh, your marriage, which you thought was fine, really isn't. And you're scrambling to figure out how'd that happen. Uh, trials come, as we're going to see, in various forms. Uh, but James, inspired by the Holy Spirit, gives us some tips on how to handle them. So we're going to talk about uh, troubles today and how faith affects them 
Uh, let's start here in verse 1 again. James is a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, his brother. Uh, he writes to the, these 12 tribes in the dispersion. Just real quick before we talk about trials. Um, he's writing this letter to church members who've been scattered uh, after the persecution of the early church started in Jerusalem. If you ever read the book of Acts, we studied it the past couple summers here. Uh, but this guy Stephen was just serving in the church faithfully, and all of a sudden one day a bunch of Jews in his town took exception to his faith in Jesus Christ, and after him preaching some very caustic things towards them, uh, they actually picked up stones and they threw, it at him, threw stones at him until he died. And that kind of uh, became like this mob mentality thing with the rest of the Jews in Jerusalem. Uh, no one was persecuted or, or taken to jail for killing Stephen, and so they all said, well, free game. We're just going to start waylaying all the Christians, and they did. And they took their property, and they uh, uh, beat them and, and uh, cast them out, sometimes killed them to the point where Christians in Jerusalem, which were, by the way, thousands strong now, if you remember uh, in the book of Acts, it tells us that the first day that uh, Peter and the rest of the disciples were preaching, 3,000 people trusted Christ and became the church in Jerusalem. And so uh, many were added to their number, it says later in that chapter 2. And so we're talking you know, thousands, if not tens of thousands of Christians are now living in Jerusalem over these 15 years or so before this persecution starts. And then the persecution hits, and they just go, Poof. And so James, being a good pastor, he says, i got to... I've got to help my sheep. I've got to help my peeps. And he pens this letter for everybody who is left. And everybody who is left, by the way, is in the midst of incredible tribulation. I mean, the trouble is real in these people's lives. They've been uh, uh, pushed from their homes, pushed into cultures that they uh, aren't accepted in. You know, the, the Jews didn't like them. The Gentiles didn't like them. I mean, they, they had no home base they're scratching and clawing just, you know, for the, 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 the general necessities of life. And so James writes in, this, writes in this letter. And it's no wonder, as he writes to the 12 tribes, these Jewish Christians dispersed, that he just says greetings. That's his only opener. Hi, fellas. All right, let's get to what's going on. And then he says this. Count it all joy, my brothers and my sisters. Anytime you see my brothers, girls, you're in there. Everybody with me on that? Okay. Count it all joy, people. When you meet trials of various kinds. Who's had this one quoted to you when you're having a bad day? Anybody had that one quoted to you? I've had it quoted to me, and I think the uh, tone of it was suck it up. Right? Hey, dude, suck it up. Count it all joy. Let's go on with the day, shall we? Uh, Anybody ever wanted to punch someone who said this to you? Thank you for being so spiritual. Here's your fist sandwich. Bam. Right? It's really easy to say when you're not the one in the trial. It's very difficult to hear when you are the one in the trial. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And depending on the trial, it can be almost impossible to believe that we could ever count something hard as a joyful experience. Let's walk through that. It says, count it all joy. That means when trials come, find some things to be happy about. This does not mean masochism, which is basically, I love pain. Bring me pain. Make it hurt, please. That's masochism, all right? Uh, It's not that you have to paint on a smile, all right? And this is what Christians sometimes think when they read this text. Okay, everybody look at me. It's okay to have a bad day. As a Christian, you don't always have to smile. Trials don't mean smiles all the time, okay? Uh, uh, You can hurt. Everybody hurts, right? 
sometime. You can hurt. So what is it saying? If it's not saying that you should look forward to trials, if it's not saying that you have to be, you know, uh, uh, fake happy in all your trials, what is it saying? Well, it's saying this. Listen, in the midst of the troubles in this Genesis 3 world where sin reigns and stuff breaks, in the midst of your troubles, take heart. Find joy in the fact that God has not left you or forsaken you. He is for you and not against you. He loves you. He wants to walk you through this trial if he will not deliver you from that trial. And in that you can take joy. Every time. Desperate is the Christian who forgets that. Because if they think for a moment that God has abandoned me, that God no longer loves me, that he couldn't love me if he would allow this to happen, well, then that trial has truly become trouble. Because you've lost the one anchor, the rock that you can stand on in the midst of your storm. James says, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, count it joy. Count it joy. We're going to talk about how that's possible and why it's so important that we have that perspective to find God in the midst of our messes. But he goes on, he says this, when you meet trials, if you're circling on anything in your paper Bibles or if you're highlighting anything in your electric Bibles, Highlight that one, when. Because what does it not say? It does not say if. The assertion is, hey, the mess is coming. And the mess you're in now is going to turn into the mess you're in later. Uh, See parenting. Does anybody know what I'm talking about there? Just when you thought, if I could just get him out of diapers. I talked to a guy, his three-year-old has just gotten out of diapers, and he's so excited. I'm like, dude, it's just beginning, bro. Because pretty soon they're going to learn how to talk. And they're going to say things to you that are going to hurt your feelings. And then they're going to meet other little ones like them. And they're going to start to conspire against you. (laughs) And then they're going to be teenagers. God help us, right? (laughs) Anybody in those years? And then I had all our kids home. Ben came home from the the storm from Jacksonville and spent the last couple days with us. We had a couple meals, a couple dinners, a couple times as family around the house. And I was like, man... Just when I thought at 22 and 21 and 19 or whatever they are, everything was going to be, everything was going to be just you know, cakes and grins. Oh, we got a whole new set of problems. They're just you know bearded now, right? You know, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> There's all kinds of challenges. They never stop, and this is what James is saying. Hey, man, if it's not happening now, it's coming. And when that one that's coming is over, guess what? Another whole wave of stuff's coming in. Enjoy your day. (laughs) It's just the nature of life, though. It's a broken world. Broken stuff happens. And so listen, if if you don't pay attention to anything else in the Bible, if you're kind of new to the story, pay attention to this. God is in the storm. God's in the mess. And he wants you to meet him in it. He wants, listen, and more than that, he wants you to grow as a result of it. In fact, that's where he goes next. Some of you might have this question. Uh, on your minds as we talk about trials today. How can the trouble in our lives ever be a good thing? How how can this ever amount to something that's good? And and I'm going to tell you a a few things that are going to lead you to understand why troubles can be a good thing. The first one is this, is that God uses trouble to make us spiritually tough, to thicken our spiritual skin. You You know, it's important as a Christian to be spiritually tough. I'm not talking about autonomous. 
I'm not talking about being personally tough. That's different. But I'm talking about when, when trouble comes, your first reaction isn't to run and hide or to crater and chicken little the thing. Your first reaction is to say, you know what? Been there, done that. God is good. We'll make it through. We have experiences in life that teach us to be tough. And once we've gone through those hardships and those experiences in just normal life, we learn that, okay, what used to make me crater, it's not going to make me crater again. I was out here watching uh, fifth and fourth grade boys play games at Awana. You want to see, if we could harness the kinetic energy in nine through 11-year-old boys, we could light the planet for the rest of life. I mean, they just move. And everything is movement. It's just, you know, you say go in any game, they're going to just sweat until they drop. And uh, we were playing this one game, it was this flag tag game, where you have to grab these streamers off of someone's belt loop, and when you do, they're out and all that stuff. Well, I was, it was dark and, and uh, getting towards the end of the game, and these kids were just, just melee, just going nuts, running around, trying to grab these uh, flags off of each other. And one little boy uh, reached out to grab somebody's uh, tag, and, and being 9, 10 years old, can't really control you know, his balance, and so just basically puts his whole body into this kid. And that little boy, who also can't really control his balance, loses his balance and just falls in one of those ways that if you're watching, you say audibly, ooh. Anybody had one of those? Like you're hoping there's not a bone poking out at the end of it? Well, those kids are made of rubber, so no bones broken. But this kid, you know, took some scrapes on his elbow and stuff like that. And, and one of the leaders who was leading the games, you know, kind of saw it out of the corner of her eye, so went over and made sure he was okay initially, but had to make sure the rest of the kids weren't killing each other. So kind of hustles him over to the corner where I'm watching the other guys. And, and, uh, and then one of the other ladies comes out, hey, you okay, you okay? And I said something instinctually as a man that I had heard said to me when I fell down in games like this uh, a thousand times, and it just rolled out of my mouth. And here's what I said. He's okay. He's tough. I said that without even really looking at him. You know, it's just this, this, this woman mom is, is trying to help. Are you okay? Are you okay? And I was like, he's fine. He's tough. And there's something that it, uh, in the testosterone corners of our brains, fellas, that when we hear a larger male say he's tough, we believe it. I mean, this kid is, you know, probably 10, 11 years old, and he's vacillating between being the kid that he is and the man that he's about to be become, right? And you can see in this, this, this whole scenario, he's trying to figure out, is this where I cry? Is this where I cry? Am I supposed to cry right now? <laughs> what do I do in this situation? He's, he's looking, and, and when they see the scrapes, it gets even a little bit worse. It's like, oh, there's like abrasions. Ooh, it's probably time to cry because there is actual signs here that I've fallen. This is probably going to be a good cry here. But if you hear an older guy say, no, he's okay. He's tough. This, this little guy, to his credit, was like, yeah, I'm okay. I'm tough. I don't know if that was his usual MO. I don't know if this was like, you know, him coming online with this whole particular set of uh, trials. You know, when we fall down and scrape ourselves, we're going to be okay. But, but that's how you learn it. You convince yourself, you know what, this isn't the end of the world. It's not worth the cry. It's not worth the crater. I'm going to keep moving forward. God does that with us in our scrapes with him. We walk through the pain of trial, and he says, hey, man, I'm for you, not against you. I'm going to use this for your good and for my glory. Let's keep going. He's not trying to sweep it under the rug, but he's not trying to just sit there and wallow with you in what should be making you stronger with him. Are you with me? It's time to put on the big boy pants, the big girl pants, spiritually speaking, and let's keep moving. 
in this quest to become more like Christ. And listen, our trials will teach us way more than our peaceful times. Has anybody noticed that? The stuff I've learned, I've learned because I've had to. Okay, I learned some things because you try to make me to. But most of the stuff I really know, I went through something where I had to apply it, and now I know it. There's a difference between knowing something and knowing it. And usually, it's the environment where you learn it. And God knows that our trials are our classroom. And what a, man, what a, what a horrible, horrible spiritual disservice to us if we go through our trials and never learn and never become what he hopes us to become in the midst of them. He's allowing them in our lives so that we can become spiritually tough. And spiritual toughness, just so you know, uh, uh, oh, I'm supposed to read the verse. Verse three says this. For you know, yeah, this is what I was talking about for five minutes. Here we go. For you know that the testing of your faith produces, and that's that word steadfastness or toughness. It produces, listen, if, if you go through a test in your life, relationally, financially, physically, personally, those tests are there to show you that God is good. He's for you. We can get through this. And they're there to prepare you, which I need to talk about in another point, for what's coming next. We'll get to that in a bit. Now, verse 3 says, Spiritual toughness leads us, sorry, that was my fault. Spiritual toughness leads us into spiritual maturity. If, you, if you're asking me why trials, one, spiritual toughness, and two, spiritual toughness, if it, if it has its way in you, will lead you to spiritual maturity. And here's what spiritual maturity is. It's, it's different from spiritual toughness because spiritual toughness is something that you need in actual trials. When the mess comes, I need to be tough. And God has taught me in the previous trials that I can trust him in these things, so I'll trust him in this one. I'm Oh, yeah, I'm spiritually tough. But spiritual toughness, if it's something that's brought about in the, in the midst of our trials, is something that translates for us into spiritual maturity that is ours even when the fires aren't flaming, even when the waters aren't rising. I can be spiritually mature in all of my life. It, basically put, spir- our trials are basically our spiritual maturers. They make us more like Jesus. Some of you are like, well, why are, well, here's what it says. The verse 4, it says this. And let, let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete and lacking in how much? Nothing. Now, do I ever think that we ever reach perfection? Uh, no, I'm never going to give you those uh, uh, ideas here as your pastor. I, I think we're always going to be struggling forward in our life with Christ as far as reaching perfection. But can we get better? Anybody think we can get better at this Christian life? Man, I hope so. I can tell you for, for a fact in my Christian life, I'm way better than I was 30 years ago. Why? Because the spirit experiences I've had uh, have shaped me to where I am now, right? And the messes that God brought me through have taught me that he is faithful, that I can trust him. Uh, he has, uh, as it were, banged out a lot of the mark in the midst of those trials, and he's left just himself. And that's what life and time bring. I don't know about you, but when I need advice, I don't go to an eight-year-old. I'm not saying that eight-year-olds can't give you some good advice uh, every once in a while, but they just haven't lived very long, right? I try to go to the people with a little snow on the roof. You know, like people like my mom who've been through some stuff. And they can say, you know what, when I went through that, this. And God taught me this. And God led me this way. And so if you have a sensei, or a spiritual mentor of some kind. I trust there's someone who God has brought through storms so that they can speak to yours. 
And they can give you some encouragements from their experiences. Some people say, well, wait, Mark, why has it got to be so hard? Why has it got to be so hard? Why can't he just teach us in our trials without, why, why can't we learn our lessons quick and then he delivers us from it? Why has it got to last so long? Why, why is my marriage got to be so hard all the time? Why is, why is it got to be so financially strapped in my house? Why, why, why? Why has it got to be so hard? Well, I, I think it's just in nature, a lot of things that are really hard produce the best results. Like, have you ever thought about this? A beautiful meadow is, is a beautiful mess, meadow. It's a beautiful place for birds to come and squirrels to run and all that stuff. But if you want to feed people out of that meadow, guess what you've got to do that meadow? You've got to take this big old plow. And you've got to go in there with this plow that is just jacking up the beauty of that meadow and tilling the soil and flipping it over. And then you know what you've got to do? You've got to kill a bo- not kill, but you've got to wait until a lot of plants die so that the seeds in those plants, uh, after it's dead, uh, can be planted into the ground. And you've got to go through hurt and pain, and, and you've got to have yourself tilled so that ultimately the good can come. Are you with me? It's like, it's like my sister who went through a Hodgkin's disease twice. She went through chemo, right, twice in like three or four years. She's okay now, but twice she lost her hair. Twice she went through the retching. If you've ever been through it, if you have a loved one who's gone through it, which most of us have, uh, it's just a horrible thing. They make you sicker so that you can be well. Isn't that crazy? Seems counterintuitive. But I think that's how trials go with God sometimes. He wants to bring about this maturity, so uh, he turns up the fire. And he makes it really difficult so that we, uh, we, we, uh, we trust them even further than we would if it wasn't as hard. Are you with me? I took my son Cooper to get his blood taken uh, when he was 14 years old. Cooper never liked needles. Uh, from the very first shots he had as a baby, didn't like it. Uh, I took him, we were going to go on a mission trip to Africa together as a family when he was like four or five years old, and we took him uh, to, the, uh, to the department of whatever for his shots uh, there, and there was a full, you know, room, and, and uh, it was time to go, and he heard his brother get his first shot and start crying, and Cooper just lost his mind. I, I had to actually physically drag him, as, and he grabbed the door jam. <laughs> With superhuman strength, he grabbed the door jam. And I couldn't get off of it, get him off it. And the whole room full of people waiting were laughing at our family. It's great. He doesn't like needles. And so at 14, we were going through some things with him physically that we wanted to make sure of and find out. And so he had to get his blood drawn so that we could test for those things so that we could know that he's well, so that he could be well. And so, okay, Coop, we've got to go get some, some, some blood drawn. Went down to Quest Diagnostics, and, and we waited way too long. Has anybody been in that situation? The wait was way too long. And uh, no matter how much I tried to keep his mind off of it or how I tried to talk about it, it's not that big a deal. It's a really small needle, which it really isn't. But uh, um, I just couldn't convince him that this wasn't going to kill him. And so we finally got back to the chair. It looks like an electric chair. Anybody been on one of those things? Right? I'm like, great, you know, thanks for making it look like an executioner thing. But uh, we sit him down on it, and, uh, and, and our, our gracious uh, phlebotomist, the, the poker lady, she... Uh, she was a veteran. She was she had an older lady, um, and so, so she's you know trying to be really patient with him. And he's trying, man, he's trying so hard to be courageous. Uh, but every time that needle with that little butterfly thing on it would get close to him, he'd just go wait, 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 wait. Anybody heard that one? Yank his arm back, right? And so finally, she'd had enough. She'd had other customers who needed blood drawn. She's like, okay, Dad, we're gonna have to do something here. So she had me try to. Hold him down, just me. Couldn't do it, little eel. He's like a little wiggler. 
And so he's just superhuman powers again. Whenever needles are in the room, he's like, you know, Hulk. Any, uh, and so, he, so they have to bring two other poker ladies in to hold his one arm. Two women on one arm. One skinny, 14-year-old, 90-pound, soaking wet guy arm. I have to take my entire body. I straddle the middle of his legs with this leg, and I lay my entire body on the electric chair across Cooper, holding the other arm that he's trying to punch me with. And I just have to pin him in place with my girth. Until finally the lady can find a vein. And then the whole time he's being stuck. He's got to take four vials of this stuff, right? If he would just sit there and be calm, it'd be done in like two minutes. But he's got to freak out, right? He's got to yell, no, no, no. And then his other one was, why, 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 dad? (laughs) Finally we got the blood. Got it out of them. We went and sent it off to get tested, and we found out the things we needed to find out. And he's as well as he can be today. I thought about that and thought about this text, and I thought, man, isn't that what God does with us sometimes? Because here's the deal. Um, we we want to get out of the chair. We, we don't want the chair. We don't want the needle. And we make that very clear to God. But he, <laughs> he persists. And he, he holds us down in our trials sometimes. He says, no, we're staying here. We're staying here. And he does so because he knows that our very best, our ultimate best, is going to come on the other side of what's hurting us in the now. Got to believe that about our God. He's for us and not against us. And if he's allowing things to persist, it's because he knows what he's doing. Any other trouble tips you might ask? Sure. How about this one? We'll finish with this one. Trouble is traversed or gotten through with wisdom by means of faith and not doubt. Look what it says. It says that uh, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. Uh, Ever come up against something you're like, I don't know how to do this. And I'm not talking about your kids' math problems now. I'm talking about you know, a certain situation in life, like, haven't been here, haven't done that, don't know what I'm doing. Uh, This happens to me all the time. I come up against stuff that I don't have the manual for. I don't have the download. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And so uh, what God says here through James is, hey, your first stop in those situations, and this is so huge. If you don't hear anything else I say today, listen, as a Christian, as someone who believes in God and trusts him, your first stop in any mess that you're in is him. You can go to other people, and I suggest that you do. I I prefer that there are people who believe like you believe, who can give you sound Christ-like guidance and stuff. But your first stop, high schoolers, your first stop, anything that's going on in your high school life should not be your peers on Facebook or Insta or whatever you're doing. It should be, I guess you can't really talk on Instagram. Anyway, whatever. It should be your prayers to your God. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask. And God gives. He promises to give generously without reproach. Isn't that great? God isn't the, you know, the, the friend on the other end of the phone who's like, seriously, you got yourself into that mess. You deserve whatever you got coming. Talk to the hand, whatever. You know. uh, he, he doesn't do that. He, he loves us. 
no matter how stupid we've been, uh, no matter how uh, hard the problem, he says, yeah, man, I'd love to help you with that. But let's be candid. Here's what Americans usually pray. When they pray to God and they they, they go to ask him for wisdom, they they skip over asking for wisdom and they go straight to deliverance. Hey, God, love you. Haven't talked to you for however long, but uh, in this one situation, can you get me out? Can you just get me out of this? Just make it go quick. Or just completely reverse all of the, uh, the, the things that have been wrought in my life. Just, just, just make it all just different right now. Go. I'll wait. Yeah, those are our prayers. Usually Americans pray that because uh, we believe that we have the right you know, to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And whenever our happiness is gone, then we're, oh, that's probably not the will of God at all. And so, hey, God, go. Change it. What God wants us to ask him for is uh, what many people outside of our country have learned to ask for, which is just this wisdom that James is talking about. Hey, God, I don't know how long this is going to last. I don't know uh, what you're going to require of me in this, this, this uh, trial that I'm in, but uh, would you give me the wisdom to take every step of it wisely? Would, would you help me understand the path that I'm supposed to walk with you on this thing? And if you're not going to deliver me from this, can I, can I just trust you to, to be with me every step of the way? He goes on and he gives this qualifier and he says this. He says, let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. He says, for that person uh, must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. Uh, he is a double-minded man. He's unstable in all of his ways. Uh, that's, uh, that's kind of a tough one. Because he starts out in verse 5 and he says, hey, if any of you lacks wisdom. He's basically saying, if any of you doesn't believe or doesn't know or doesn't understand what to do, ask me and I'll tell you. But when you ask, make sure you believe and you know that I can do this. And it seems like he's kind of requiring a pretty high bar there. Um, Certainly, here's what I would tell you James is saying, that when we pray, we should pray believing that God can do what we're asking. So if you're praying for someone to be healed, you don't think that's really going to happen, but you know you're supposed to pray, save it. Because if you don't believe for what you're asking for, you're just wasting your time. It's, it's not registering, registering with, with the God of the universe because your unwillingness to believe that he can do it negates the fact that he will do it. Are you with me? You've got to believe a little bit. But isn't it great that God doesn't expect us to be, you know, batting a thousand when it comes to belief? Like, remember the story I told you last week about the father uh, whose son was uh, stricken by a demon and he'd been thrown into fires by the demon and thrown into the water and almost drowned by it, and for years this has been going on, he finally meets Jesus. You remember what he said to Jesus? He says this in Mark chapter 9. He says, hey, if you can do anything, and if you would do something, I would really appreciate your help with my son. Do you remember what Jesus did? It didn't seem very kind at all. He shoots back with, if I can. Like Jesus actually said this to this father. If I can. What? If I can. He says, listen, man. If anybody would just believe in me a little bit, there's no end to what my power can do. If I can. He's basically saying, you can't doubt. You can't not believe that I can do the things you're asking me to do. Remember what the father said? The father's me, the father's you probably. The father said, oh, I believe. And then he said what? Help me with my 
unbelief. He's like, I'm both. I'm a believing unbeliever. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sure, but I'm not. But you know what? He believed enough. Remember what Jesus said about faith? He said, if you have faith just the size of what? A little mustard seed, just a little bit of faith. You don't have to have it all. You just have to a little bit. He says, if you had just a little bit of faith, you can tell that mountain over there to fly into that ocean. It's the power of us believing. When we get in our trials, listen, we need to ask God for wisdom, but when we ask, we have to believe. I got on a plane in Africa once. It's a little prop plane. <laughs> pretty small. Uh, I'm pretty big. And so uh, they were asking me to, to be, basically be the back row of this prop plane. They had to balance everybody by weight, you know, to make sure that uh, when we got in the air, this thing didn't come down. These are not comforting things to know before you get on a plane. You know, it's hard to go to a scale and be weighed and be like, you're going to be the back row. Oh, is that good? I looked inside the plane before we got going. And there was this little rickety kind of fold-out seat like I picture would be in a military plane. That's what you sat in. There was this little, you know, uh, seat belt, uh, which wasn't going to do us any good. Let's just be honest. But, uh, um, but you know, that, that's what I had to secure me inside this thing. When I got inside the plane, I had to walk like this because it was that small of a plane and then sit down in the seat with the ceiling right here by my head. I looked at the pile and was like, man, I don't know. Maybe I'll walk. I don't, I don't, I don't. This doesn't seem like a good idea. And he looked at me and he said, oh, man, don't worry about it. I've made hundreds of these flights. Our, our institution, Missionary, we've never lost anybody. He says, oh, well, great. Maybe today's our day, right? You know? Uh, but here, here, just so you know, believing unbelief, I wasn't sure that plane was going to work. But I climbed the stairs, or whatever those were, and I sat down in that chair, and I put on that seatbelt, and I closed my eyes and prayed to a holy God <laughs> for his mercy as that thing puttered down the dirt runway of this airport and took to the skies. You know what? I wasn't really sure it was going to work until when? Until I got out, and I kissed the ground of that airstrip. <laughs> but you know what? After that, planes didn't scare me anymore. Went on one of those this past year on our trip, and I was the guy who was talking to everybody else down. Those who were nervous, there weren't many. Like, yeah, this is going to be fine. Why? Been there. Done that. Because my believing unbelief didn't keep me from the plane. Are you with me? So when you come to your trials, just believe a little bit. Believe enough to receive from God the wisdom that he wants to give you. It's one of the benefits of, of trouble and messes. God can teach you. He can show you wisdom. When you get that wisdom, because of your faith, walk with him in that wisdom. Don't turn to the left or the right. Stay with him in it. Learn to be tough spiritually so that you can be mature spiritually. God's trials are his classroom. And he wants to make us more like him. Let's pray. Hey, God, thanks so much uh, for James and the things you inspired him to write to his uh, church as they went through their trials. Uh, Lord, I look out over this room and uh, I've heard stories this morning of people who've gone through it in recent days. I look out at friends and, uh, you know, folks who are just in the middle of it right now. And uh, I recognize that uh, uh, these are uh, a lot easier. These words are a lot easier said or taught 
than, than, than held in the midst of our trials. Our stress levels go up, our discouragement uh, comes with it, and, and we can just kind of get lost in, in the messes of our lives. But Lord, I pray that today uh, we would count it all joy that you are with us in our trials, that you are working in the midst of them uh, to make us more like you, to make us tough and mature, uh, that you're going to give us your wisdom uh, if we only ask believing, and you'll do it without, uh, without uh, reproach. You'll, you'll, you'll always provide it for us. And even if it isn't our deliverance, God, uh, that you are going to provide, uh, we, we thank you for the wisdom to walk through whatever our messes are. Uh, Lord, if we're not in a mess right now, get us ready for the next one. And use each mess in our life, God, to, to, to make us stronger, tougher uh, for the ones that await us uh, after each mess. I, I just pray, God, that you would work your, your best in us, that we look more like you and less like us every day, and use our trials for that end, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen, you all. God bless you as you go into your storms. Trust God. I'll be over here in the corner if you want to talk. Have a great week.